Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show uncovering the news and trends that matter most for companies and their stocks across technology, media, retail, gaming, and more. I'm Tim Stanovec. The accelerated adoption of emerging technology by consumers during the pandemic has been a major theme over the past few months. Digital-first companies have been the biggest winners, and industries across the board are feeling the impact. Now, the two areas of focus in today's episode are virtual healthcare and payments, and how they've changed during the pandemic. We spoke with Jason Mosier from The Motley Fool, who breaks down the rapid run higher by shares of Teladoc. That's a company connecting patients with doctors remotely. Teladoc has experienced a surge in visits recently and is capitalizing on the momentum with an $18.5 billion acquisition of Livongo Health. Livongo develops technology to help monitor and manage chronic conditions like diabetes in patients. He also lays out his case for why cash is dead and talks about how the anti-cash crew, that's PayPal, Square, MasterCard, and Visa, are positioned for further growth. Here's my conversation with Jason. Jason, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I mean, I'm just excited to get a chance and join you guys. I've been following the show since, since you've launched, and uh, it's exciting to see what you guys are doing. Oh, thanks so much. Well, uh, let's talk Teladoc, uh, because the company shares have nearly tripled since <laughs> yeah. the start of the year. It's just it's been in a massive, massive run. The company, of course, benefiting from the accelerated adoption of, of virtual care, right? This idea that you telehealth and you don't have to actually go to the doctor to go to the doctor. Um, the question is, is remote medical care a trend that you see continuing in the long term after we are hopefully past this pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we, yeah, I, hopefully we get past this pandemic sooner rather than later. Eventually we will, but I do think it's going to change the way that we approach and solve a lot of problems in, in, in medicine certainly um, is, is at the top of the list there. So yeah, I definitely think that telemedicine, virtual healthcare, um, this is the moment for that movement, so to speak. I think um, that was probably, you know, when I when I found out about Teladoc Health, I mean, this is back in 2015, right, as they were getting ready to go public. Um, at the time, I mean, it was a very unconventional concept, as you can imagine. And one of the bigger hurdles beyond just the regulatory hurdles, I mean, convincing regulators, insurance companies, this was actually a thing, was getting consumers to actually buy in and realize that there was some merit to it. And, and a lot of it just does, it, come, it comes down to educating the consumer on what telemedicine is good for, right? It's not good for everything. I mean, you're not going to initiate a tele, telemedicine visit if you're having a heart attack, most likely. But I mean, you know, if, if you come down with a case of pink eye or something like that, it's perfect. And, and so I think, you know, for a long time when Teladoc was first getting, it, it, getting started, that, that consumer awareness, that consumer education was a big hurdle. And, and this, I think that the COVID pandemic has, has really um, brought that, that hurdle down. I mean, people very quickly have, have been able to see the merits of, of, of telemedicine and virtual healthcare. And, you know, as they say, once that toothpaste is out of the tube, you, you, you can't put it back. It's, it's so fascinating to hear you say this because we had a guest when we were talking about Amazon 
uh, talking essentially about how, uh, you know, people who weren't using Amazon for, for groceries, perhaps, or weren't doing any online grocery delivery, uh, when the pandemic started, that's what they did. And they essentially got so many new customers who they didn't think that they would end up getting because that wasn't their, their lifestyle. But yeah. But that's what ended up happening. And the similar thing is happening with, with telemedicine, you're arguing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's really no question about it. And I mean, I think it's, it's been neat to watch. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's been neat to watch this pandemic. Don't get me wrong. But it, it is neat to see the solutions and the innovation that comes from a time like this, right? I mean, there, there is a lot of innovation going on right now. And there's a lot of consumer education that's going on as well. And you're becoming aware of ways to solve problems that perhaps a lot of people didn't realize they existed before. Um, telemedicine is certainly one good example. I think we're seeing a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, stuff going on in the payments industry, which is which is exciting. Uh, I mean, you look at a company like DocuSign, right? Just in the, in the the business of agreements and the business of contracts. I mean, you know, decades ago there was no such thing as electronically signing a document. Now it's weird if you don't offer that service, and I think that we are to the point where it's weird if you're a healthcare company and you don't offer some type of virtual healthcare. Uh, feature. If you don't have that, then, then you are behind the curve. And, and that's, of course, not where you want to be. Uh, it's something that's strange for, for people who would be listening to this outside of the United States is that here in the US, your health insurance is tied to your employer. Yeah. So what role have employer sponsored plans played in the adoption of telemedicine as a perk? Uh, buy employers and, and buy health plans. Like you go work for a new company and they, they offer uh, a service that you didn't have at your previous company. That's got to be a big catalyst, right? Um, I, I mean, I think it is. It definitely has the potential. And, and, and you're seeing, I think, a lot of companies have been, you know, they've, they've been adopting new bells and whistles to their healthcare plans. You want to make those as attractive and as, and as, and as valuable as, as you can to your employees. Um, it, it, and so certainly telemedicine has been one of those little bolt-on features that a lot of companies have been bringing into the mix. And, you know, for, for a long time, uh, it, it was something that, you know, a, a company like Teladoc, they really kind of needed a big customer to get out there and sign up with them to, to you know, try to validate that, that, that space, so to speak. In, in Teladoc, all along the way, they've done very, they've done very well in getting a lot of those big companies uh, to sign on with them. I think if, if you look at the data, I mean, it's, it's something in the neighborhood of 40% of Fortune 500 companies or something like that. But, but the bottom line is that, yeah, I mean, once you start seeing employers focusing on bringing that service into uh, what they can offer their uh, in employees, you know, then go beyond that. Like, look at look at the, the health care programs that are government sponsored, right? Whether it's Medicaid or Medicare, um, you know, look, look at all of the opportunities from from health care uh, organizations, health insurance uh, organizations. I mean, United Healthcare, I think, is a great example of one that is is utilizing this this type of technology as well. And United Healthcare, I mean, United Health Group, that's that's the largest insurer in the world, right? And they too are incorporating virtual healthcare and telemedicine in their models. And 
you know, they're, they're taking an interesting tack to it and in that they're building some of their own stuff, but yet they're also partnering with, with other companies in the space as well. So United Health Group has this virtual visits feature and, you know, one of the, one of the primary companies that powers that virtual visits feature is in fact Teladoc. So you, you doesn't take a genius. You look at how big United Health Group is compared to something like a Teladoc. And then you see the importance of, of Teladoc being able to partner up with something like United Health Group and really not only grow the awareness, but grow that audience. And, and, and what it ultimately does, it gives Teladoc the green light to continue investing in the business, to grow the things that they're doing. Now they have, they have their eyes set on becoming ultimately the world's first major primary care provider, which hmm. if you look at the numbers there, I mean, a lot of people just domestically here, a lot of people don't have primary care providers. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a huge it's, issue it's, in the U.S. That's and that's Teladoc is aiming to try to fix that. And, and it's, it's exciting to see for sure. OK, so we talked telemedicine. I also want to talk about another digital trend uh, that we've seen accelerated. The war on cash. I had <laughs> an editor for years who wanted me to write stories about how, how cash was dead. And I would always push back on her and say, no, cash is not dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But is this the time that, that cash is, is finally dead? Uh, PayPal, Square, MasterCard. And Visa, uh, these are sort of the anti-cash crew. Uh, what have we learned in the past few months about the way that their companies have accelerated uh, because more and more people are using electronic payments? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you talk about these these businesses having having a moment. There's no question that the payments industry is witnessing a bit of a moment as well. And um, I, you know, I, I think I was I was probably with you for a while in pushing back. And cash is not dead. It serves a vital role. And and I don't think cash is ever going to be dead. I mean, I think we always have to have cash. I mean, if anything, I think legally, like you got to be able to at least let people pay with cash, right? I mean, they print it on the it, actual bill. Like you, you got to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting that you say that. What, what we, we've seen in the past few years is, is companies, especially quick serve restaurants uh, yeah. in, in major metropolitan areas like New York and Philadelphia and parts of New Jersey also stop accepting cash. Yeah. Uh, and you've seen local lawmakers push back because it's it, it creates discrepancies uh, between the, the banked and the unbanked, which was a question I was going to ask you is the idea of, of millions and millions of American families who are underbanked and don't actually have access to electronic payments, it does still create an issue for them if, if places don't accept cash. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, and, and to be clear, I fully agree in that I don't think any merchant should be able to say, I don't accept cash. I, I do I do support fully going cashless, don't get me wrong. But I think if you're a merchant, you need to accept cash. You, you can't yeah. you can't discriminate, right? I mean that that is that is it just there are a lot of people out there, like you said, underbanked. And so, um, and you know, if I'm a merchant, I'm accepting cash too. I want to open my doors to as many people that want to come through them. But with that said, um, you are seeing. I think we're going to get to a point where companies, where merchants, don't even really have to take it that far. And, and we're seeing companies like PayPal and Square, in particular, um, investing in uh, these underbanked and unbanked. Um, citizens, right? I mean, whether it's domestic yeah, you, even, even startups like Chime are doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's just it. You're seeing everywhere from big to, to very small. And I mean, like, I know you just saw the news here with Apple acquiring this little uh, tech startup Moby Wave, right? Which is ultimately right. just a way to turn your phone into a, into a payment, uh, a payment uh, terminal. And, and so I think that you know, we're seeing companies like PayPal, like Square, Visa and MasterCard to, to an extent as well, 
certainly investing in this cashless future because that's where the world is headed. I don't think it's ever going to go fully cashless. But by the same token, when you look at all of the investments these businesses are making, when you look at the core market that they serve, it's it's really diff like money's not going to be disrupted. Like 20 years from now, people are still going to be spending money. It's just going to be about no matter how they're getting it from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. and, and these businesses are really focusing on making that as easy as possible. And, and to the point where even now, like the FDIC and the Fed are actually talking about coming up with a federal, uh, federally sponsored payment network that would be able to help you know, move money from point A to point B as quickly as possible. So I think they're seeing the merits of what companies like MasterCard and Visa have done at this point um, and, and then seeing that. Companies like Square and PayPal can insert themselves into that value chain and really do well for themselves as well. And it's making for a better payments ecosystem all around. Uh, it, it reduces fraud. And, and, and I think that's that's something that uh, you keep in mind as well. And, and of course, uh, as we've seen with the pandemic, I mean, there are a lot of concerns about handling cash because there's enough data out there to show you that that germs can be transmitted through cash. Yeah, it's uh, it's not clean. It's not <laughs> no, clean. not at all. So, so let's let's talk a little more about PayPal because uh, June was the fastest growing month in terms of volume for the company, all the way back since it separated from eBay. Uh, that was five years ago in 2015. <laughs> so PayPal uh, recently making a deal with CVS to add PayPal and and Venmo. Remember, PayPal owns Venmo, adding the QR codes to store checkouts, so you'd be able to pay, essentially using your PayPal and Venmo account as you're leaving. CVS, uh, in-store shopping, is this the next phase of growth for PayPal and its subsidiary Venmo? Oh, I think it's definitely one of them. I think that any way that these businesses can come up with new contactless ways uh, to allow people to pay, um, people will want to at least consider it. And um, you know, I, I, the thing about PayPal that I like so much, and this is this is really, I mean, I, I personally own shares in the business myself. It's one that I've recommended at work um, to our members, and, and it's one that they're doing a lot of different things, and, and so they don't make their money just as PayPal. And I, you know, a lot of people I think just see it as PayPal, but you mentioned Venmo, of course. I mean, Venmo is a tremendous part of the business. They grew their total payment volume there this quarter by fifty-two percent. Almost thirty-seven billion dollars flowed through that Venmo network for the quarter. Now, if you think about that in comparison to what the total payment volume of the entire company for the for the entire company for the quarter total payment volume of 222 billion dollars so that's a lot of money flowing through that network and venmo is starting to take up a little bit more of it as time goes on um, but remember also they plugged in that new acquisition of honey which i think probably a few months ago we were thinking about that acquisition a little bit differently Looking at it now, understanding there are probably going to be a lot of people out there really focused on spending their money as wisely as they can and looking mm -hmm. for deals where they can get them. I bet you that the you know honey's gonna honey's gonna become a little bit more valuable. I think. And then the other part of the business that really I just I I, I love it and and I just you know it leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth, Tim, because this company back in the day represented such a great opportunity. It, it's a company called Zoom. And it's not not the video chat company. Okay, I was, I was like, I, I think I think our, our listeners at this point have heard enough about Zoom, whether yeah. it's through work or through, <laughs> through the market. <laughs> this is a different Zoom. Okay, this is spelled X O O M, and it, it was public a time ago, probably I don't know four four. Yeah, five I have years a good ago. friend who who helped take it public, and then it went private. 
Well, yeah. PayPal so, bought it. Uh, yeah, and PayPal bought it. It was a company that we recommended at work. We were so excited about its future. PayPal bought it seemingly for a song, so it was kind of kind of bitter. But it's still nice to know they're they're doing well with it. Zoom is is in the business of outbound remittances, so it's like a 21st century Western Union, right? It's just basically taking money that you would wire to family and friends out of the country, and it's just gone totally mobile, and so it's it's very easy to use. Zoom's net new actives were up 600 percent from the previous quarter as well. So it's just it's my it's my point wow. that PayPal has a lot of different ways they can win, and um, you know, I mean, when you look at the growth the company locked up here over the last several years. It's, it's no accident that the market's receiving it well. And I think that CEO Dan Shulman said something in the most recent call, which really, I think it just speaks volumes. It tells you his mindset. And he said, I quote, this is our time and we intend to seize the moment, unquote. And so he is going into this, this stretch of time here, I think, um, very focused. They're playing offense. And, and I think they're going to come out of this thing far stronger than, than they went into it. Why do you think Zoom uh, was performing so well in its most recent quarter? Well, I think that part of that has to do with the fact that people are starting to understand the value and being able to move money electronically. I think they're starting but, to do but a better it's, job. But it's about moving like money electronically outside of the country, right? Yes, outside yes, it is. So Absolutely. instead of going to Western Union and during the pandemic, they were discovering this new way to do it through their smartphone. Yeah. And, and I mean, to be clear, I mean, Zoom isn't the only one that does this anymore, but Zoom really did something early on, kind of like what Teladoc did in, in creating the awareness and the education that you could actually do that. And, and it was it was amazing to see when I when I was digging into Zoom and, and learning more about the business, I, I was just astounded, really, at how much money um, people send out of the United States on a regular basis. And a lot of it is you have you know, folks who have immigrated here to this country, they still have family that lives in the Philippines or somewhere else. And, and so they send money back to their family regularly. And once I started thinking about it from that perspective, you know, we, we my wife and I lived overseas for several years in, in areas where that same dynamic play out. And it started to make more sense. And, you know, once you start looking at the numbers in ultimately the way that market works, it's all about regularity. They're, they're sending money out mm. in regular intervals and it's all about risk management. And one of the things that technology does, it gives us more information. And Zoom built out a very smart way to assess uh, and manage the risk in sending this money. And so the more you do it on a regular basis, the less and less risky a proposition, the more profitable it becomes. And it's just one of those things that keeps on feeding itself. Okay, so what about the sort of, you know, the OGs, the credit card companies, uh, MasterCard, Visa, to a different degree, American Express? How do they fit into digital money and the, the future of payment picture when they're facing uh, kind of like this weird competition, right? They have partners, yeah. but they also are, some of these partners are, are also competitors. Um, and I should note, I've really come to appreciate uh, contactless payments embedded in my, my credit cards that have only happened in the last few years during this pandemic, right? Being able to go into a grocery store and, you know, paying with my phone or, pulling out my chase card and actually just getting it close to the terminal if they don't have apple pay yeah and and that is a way you can pay for it this stuff has been done in europe by the way for for years yeah i don't know i don't know why it took so long to get here but i'm yeah. with you man i really like being able to just tap my card on that register and uh and keep moving along i mean i'll use my phone if i can or i'll use my card I, to me phone or card doesn't matter it's still a point of mm -hmm. friction you got to pull something out there right but um I, you know i think that with visa and mastercard very interesting stories here in in, in that 
I mean, for the longest time, they were essentially the only game in town that was just the way business was done, right? And I mean, they just, they run these these massive um, networks, these toll booths. And the neat part about the business is they're not taking on the debt, right? They're not responsible for the debt that's being spent through those networks. They're just facilitating the movement. And, you know, one of the things I've found through the years in, in researching and learning about the payment space, it is extremely involved and complex. And it's not easy to fully understand. Um, it, it, it is It is one of those things where you feel like, Visa and MasterCard really had a stranglehold for a long time. I feel like they probably were a little bit asleep at the wheel. And yeah. that's where the opportunity developed for companies like PayPal and Square and Stripe, even though Stripe isn't public. You know, I mean, they've got a big relationship with Shopify, so you can get exposure to Stripe through that. Um, but but Visa or I mean, I'm sorry, Square and PayPal and Stripe all very strategically inserted themselves into that value chain to where my you know, MasterCard and Visa. They were just they were so asleep at the wheel. They weren't developing that same type of technology and the same types of services. So they kind of they didn't really have a choice. They had to let Square and PayPal and Stripe in. Uh, but the companies are so big, you know, you can't you can't just like eliminate MasterCard and Visa from from the the global payment system. I mean, you're talking about you know Visa, for example. I mean, something right. like nine nine trillion dollars flows through that network. But but they're going to continue focused on uh, continue focusing on. Um, primarily new flows, new ways uh, that, that money will continue to flow through, whether that's consumer to consumer or business to business or, uh, you know, government to consumer or whatever. I mean, there's so much money flowing uh, through the world on any given day and so much of it's still dedicated to cash and physical currency. Uh, there's just big opportunity out there for all these companies to still capitalize. Jason Moser, it is always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the Voices of Wall Street podcast. Always a pleasure. Look forward to doing it again soon. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the Voices of Wall Street podcast, please rate it and review the show on whichever podcast app you listen on and share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.